Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. I have no idea if Jerome, Jerry Seinfeld's Hebrew name is Jeremiah. But for the purposes of today's sermon on human resilience, I would really love it to be the case. To make a long story short, in the final days of August 2020, James Altusher posted an article on his LinkedIn page entitled, New York City is Dead Forever. Part entrepreneur, part comedy club owner, Altusher saw our city's shuttered businesses, boarded up restaurants, and midtown turned ghost town, and opined that his beloved Big Apple was sadly no more. Whatever hard times New York City had faced in the past, 2001, 2008, this downturn was different far more severe in kind and degree. People were leaving, real estate prices were plummeting, and the reasons to move back no longer compelling. A few days later, comedian Jerry Seinfeld wrote a response to Altusher in the New York Times, entitled, So You Think New York City Is Dead, calling Altusher a putz and arguing that any pronouncements of New York City's demise are not only premature, but altogether misplaced. Wipe your tears, wipe your butt, and pull it together, wrote Seinfeld. Florida's pastel-filled life can't hold a candle to New York's energy, attitude, and personality. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Show some grit, for God's sake. The city will bounce back. Shortly thereafter, Altusher got in his final dig, this time in the New York Post, basically asking Seinfeld, how's the view? from the Hamptons, telling him that his love for the city couldn't change the facts about the magnitude of the crisis and that he was welcome to perform stand-up at his club, that is, if Jerry is in town. The public debate made for good theater, and I imagine many of you followed it closely, and I'm personally dying to know if Jerry is going to perform at stand-up since it reopened its doors this week. To be clear, Neither Seinfeld nor Altusher are economists, demographers, or politicians. Neither of them are party to any insight as to New York's post-pandemic future. Neither of them are positioned to do anything other than write op-eds. The intrigue of their debate isn't one of public policy, but it's one of spiritual posture of us, our thoughts as to what makes for resilience in a single or communal soul. Their debate is every bit as pressing today, if not more so, than it was last August. The indicators are mixed. Vaccinations are up, and this week New York seemed a bit more vibrant, but storefronts are still suffering. Tourism is dead, and from what people tell me, half of my congregation is in Florida. No one knows the future of work from home, when, if at all, a snapback will occur, and how long New Yorkers will remain in exile. Decisions are being made in real time. 
Some, like a congregant who emailed me this week, shared that it was time for their family to move out of the city. Others, like a few early childhood families who joined the synagogue this week, are knuckling down, Jerry Seinfeld-like, putting down roots, believing that our best days are yet to come. The question is not one of predicting a future that nobody knows, but one of attitude. Given the moving target, given the variables we cannot control, what demeanor shall we adopt? Despair or resilience? Despondency or courage? Does our tradition have anything to say on how we, in the face of crisis and an unknown future, should comport ourselves as individuals and as a community? All of which is a really long-winded way of explaining why it would be really fortuitous if Jerome Seinfeld's Hebrew name is Jeremiah, the prophet about whom we read this morning. As the students in my Tuesday morning class know, Jeremiah's ministry spanned 40 years, beginning around the year 627 before the Common Era, a dramatic and traumatic period in ancient Israel's history that saw the fall of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian regime turning Judah into a vassal state, the siege of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and large parts of the population being sent into Babylonian exile. A dark, dark hour for our people, if there ever was one, a sorrow exacerbated by the inability to know just how long the exile would last. Jeremiah's 52 chapters contain a variety of messages. He opens the book with an agenda both dim and promising to uproot and pull down and to build and to plant. At times, as in the case of this morning's Haftorah, when Bahar and Bechukotai are combined, we read of the guilt of Judah, how it was our people's sins that resulted in our self-inflicted downfall. This is a Jeremiah who castigates Israel, a Jeremiah of doom, a Jeremiah who puts Israel to shame. It's actually where the word Jeremiah, if you've ever wondered, comes from. But at other times, as in the case when our Torah readings are read on successive weeks, we hear from a different Jeremiah, a Jeremiah whom we might be inclined to call Jerry. This Jeremiah comes with words of comfort, consolation, and confidence. The eyes of this Jeremiah, no different than the other one, are wide open to the challenges of the hour. Not only was he attuned to Israel's imperiled and besieged state, but he himself was personally imprisoned. This Jeremiah sees the weakened resolve of his kinsmen in the face of trauma and responds not with cries of despair, but with oracles of hope, comfort, and restoration, a conviction that while times are tough, Israel will bounce back. Listen to the words, Ko amar Hashem, minei kolech mi bechi ve'einaich medima, ve'shavu me'eretz o'yev ve'yesh tikva le'achritech. Restrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from shedding tears. They shall return. There is hope for your future. It's not just Jeremiah's poetry that reflect his resolve and hope for the future, but his actions as well. Chapter 32 of Jeremiah documents an extraordinary scene when despite the fact of his people's exile, Jeremiah purchases land in his hometown in Judea of Anatot, a real estate transaction analogous to a person purchasing midtown commercial property today. A defiant act, 
announcing that one must remain ever vested in the place you live, wounded though it may be, because you believe that we will turn a corner and there will be a return. The language is bold, beautiful, courageous, and confident. A time, declares Jeremiah, when a new covenant will be made, when each generation will be judged on its own merit, and the beloved city shall be rebuilt. This Jeremiah is all about meeting the future boldly the model of spiritual resilience in the face of adversity. Before I move forward, let me pause to say what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. COVID is not the Babylonian empire. This pandemic is not God's will. And New York City, much as I love it, is not Jerusalem. I'm neither a politician nor an economist. I'm in no position to predict the direction of the economy or the efficacy of vaccines against variants. But what I can weigh in on is how our people from time immemorial have lived, how time and again in the face of loss and trauma, we have mustered the requisite spiritual resilience to meet the challenges of the hour, the faith that however tough today may be, tomorrow can be better. Because Jeremiah may have been one of the first and the most famous of our people to voice hope in the face of loss, but he was by no means the last. When the first temple was destroyed and Israel was exiled from their land, they did so singing, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. When the second temple was destroyed at the hands of the Romans, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had himself spirited out of Jerusalem in a coffin in order to establish a rabbinic academy in the coastal town of Yavne, recasting a temple-based religion of sacrifice into one of prayer and mitzvot a cycle of crisis and renewal that has, to some degree, become the very calling card of our people. When the Jews were expelled from Spain, we responded by creating Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. Hasidism emerged in the face of pogrom and persecution. Herzl's political Zionism, a response to anti-Semitism and the failures of the emancipation. Spiritually, geographically, and nationally, time and again, we've met crisis with courage adversity with adaptability. It's been there, truth be told, since Adam and Eve stood east of the Eden, since Noah exited the ark after the flood. What is, asked Mark Twain in reference to the Jews, the secret of his immortality? Our ability to both confront and transcend the circumstances of our pain, to recover, regenerate, and reinvent, to build and rebuild, despite the naysayers who would counsel otherwise. The most studied example of the sources of Jewish resilience, not surprisingly, is also perhaps the most traumatic and most recent, the Holocaust, the Shoah. I recently had occasion to read William Heimrich's groundbreaking work, Against All Odds, Holocaust Survivors and the Success They Made in America. Helmreich, a sociologist at City College, who tragically died this past year due to COVID, conducted interviews with 380 Holocaust survivors in search of understanding why it was that they did as well as they did after the war, considering all they had endured. While underscoring the challenges they faced, trauma, displacement, language barriers, lack of formal education, and otherwise, Helmreich identified 10 coping mechanisms survivors adopted in the face of adversity. Flexibility, assertiveness, tenacity, optimism, 
intelligence, distancing ability, group consciousness, assimilating the knowledge that they survived, finding meaning in one's life, and the tenth, perhaps most importantly, courage. While we could and perhaps should take time to unpack each one of these attributes, collectively they contribute to a spirit of resilience. Collectively they explain how such a traumatized demographic were able to reconstitute themselves so successfully despite what they had been through. In Helmreich's words, the Holocaust was never far from the survivor's mind, but to the extent that they could transcend it and focus on the tasks at hand, they did well in life. They, more than anyone, understood that they were not in control of their destiny, but they nonetheless sought meaning in life, meaning in community, and demonstrated the requisite combination of courage and capacity for hope in order to meet an unknown future. In other words, they did exactly what Jeremiah did in a different time, place, and circumstance, what Jews have been doing all along. We are not the subjects of Helmreich's study. Whatever our challenges, thank God, they pale in comparison to his time, to the time of Jeremiah, or for that matter, any other calamity that's befallen our people. But all of us can be, if we so choose, heirs to their wisdom. We're all hurting right now. We've all been kicked off the merry-go-round. There's not a person whose life has not been diminished, who's not anxiety-ridden about what the future we hold. We do ourselves no favors by denying our problems, nor denying that our problems make us suffer. There are circumstances beyond our control and a future beyond the horizon of our vision. We have a choice of how we will greet each day with gloom and doom or hope and courage. For me, the choice between being an optimist or pessimist is somewhat self-evident because it's not really even a choice. As Shimon Perez of Blessed Memory said, optimists and pessimists, they die the same way. They just live differently. I prefer to live life as an optimist. As Jews have always done, we can be idealists and realists, eyes wide open to our circumstance, but not immobilized by it. We need not fully know our future in order to take present action to adapt to it. And we can acknowledge the fullness of our pain, but also find a path to transcend it. As a prophet counseled in his day, so too in our own, restrain your weeping, your eyes from shedding tears. There is hope for your future. Your children shall return. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.